on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. The people that are not thinking about what position they ought to sleep in are sleeping the best. And the people that are not thinking about the position that they ought to sit in are probably sitting the best. And a lot of what PRI tries to do is shift this conscious awareness away of how I'm supposed to be holding my body. What you got? Welcome to In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to episode 13 of In The Rack Podcast. I'm your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. Speaking of 13, it is a lucky episode for sure. We have uh, a, a special guest on the show today, and this guy's name is Mike DeMille. Did I say that right, Mike DeMille? DeMille. DeMille. Yep. DeMille. All right, so Mike DeMille, he is a postural restoration certified practitioner and he actually just opened up his own practice in Wellesley, Mass. It's called Divergence Physical Therapy and Wellness. Is that correct? Nice. So that just scratches the surface of everything that Mike's accomplished. He's done a whole bunch of stuff since he graduated. Actually, he graduated with Nick. Him and Nick both went to the same school. I think you guys were in the same class, right? Yeah, we went to. We were in undergrad and grad school together. So we started in Springfield College as, as freshmen. And Mike had a mullet at the time. And uh-huh. he, was in, he was in all my classes. And Oh, yeah. My 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 best friend was his roommate at the time, so I just knew uh, Mike is the kid with the mullet who was my my best friend's roommate. And then uh, yeah, our, our friendship grew over the years, and we were roommates um, one of the years. And then we went to PT school together, obviously. So Mike's the man. He's he's been preparing to own his own business, and he'll tell you more about that for a long time. I can tell you that he was way ahead of his time in school. Um, he was way into PRI then. It almost got him in trouble. And I'm sure he could enlighten you as to what I mean by that. But yeah, Mike, uh, why don't you tell everybody about yourself and, and what what PRI is and what it's all about? Yeah. Yeah, man. And six six long years. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, uh, a lot of learning, a lot of, uh, a lot of difficulty. But uh, I'm so glad that we get to experience that together. But so I, when I was going to school, when I was looking at colleges, Springfield College really stood out because it was the one school that I could play baseball at and that I could do the whole physical therapy program at. So when we did the six years, we did the three of undergrad, the three of grad. Um, we were able to do it in a shorter amount of time than normal. Um, and playing baseball was really how I found PRI. So at Springfield, the grad assistants can also be the strength conditioning coaches. It's a really cool program at Springfield. So you have an athletic trainer dedicated to every sports team. You have a strength conditioning coach. You have these like allied health and, uh, and wellness practitioners. And it's at a school where the athletics are competitive, but it's not a division one school. Um, it's because it's a, an exercise science minded school. So when I was playing baseball, um, Eric Cressy was the big name and he's obviously got Cressy sports performance in Hudson, um, but now in Jupiter, Florida, and he's working for the Yankees. But at the time his gym in Hudson had just started and all of the well-accomplished strength conditioning coach, uh, students at Springfield were interns at Cressy's at one time, like everybody that I knew, especially if they're in the baseball community, um, had done an internship at Cressy's place. 
And the coach, who was our strength conditioning coach and athletic trainer, he was doing a dual degree um, at Springfield was Sam Sturgis. So he was that baseball strength conditioning coach, helped us with injuries. And he was just learning PRI because he had done an internship um, at Cressy's. So I got introduced to it that way. And then when Sam graduated from Springfield, he continued to be a strength conditioning coach um, in Needham, Mass. And I just happened to have grown up 20 minutes away from the gym in Needham. So not only did I meet him in Springfield, but like serendipitously, when I would go home over winter break or in the summer, I would work out with Sam uh, when I was a sophomore, junior and senior and beyond um, because he just happened to graduate and work at a gym that was 20 minutes from my house. So I had this parallel experience of going through physical therapy undergrad school and I stayed in contact with this guy who was like a baseball strength conditioning coach. Um, and through that, the gym continued to go to more PRI courses, kind of with that original impression from Eric Cressy's gym. Um, I started to go to PRI courses with them while I was also like learning basic level physical therapy uh, knowledge in school. So then by the time I graduated, I'd been to like five or six different PRI courses. You know, I had my physical therapy degree and ended up working at that gym in Needham that I was introduced to by Sam, Pure Performance Training. And it just worked out and lined up like completely perfectly. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I met him. I'm so grateful that I got to work there. But that was the first PRI exposure itself. Um, so the PRI course, the way they're, they're structured is there's primary courses that a lot of people have probably heard of before. So myokin, postural respiration, pelvis restoration. Um, there's secondary courses. Uh, there's one with the foot and ankle impingement and instability. It's one for the cervical spine, cervical restoration. Um, there's an advanced integration course at the end of the year, which is a longer course where a lot of the certifications take place. And then there's tertiary courses that well as well that deal mostly with the integration piece. So if you need to refer someone to a dentist uh, related to their physical therapy or to an optometrist related to their physical therapy, there's PRI tertiary courses as well. Um, so I have taken a good amount of those at, at this point. You know, it started with baseball training related to myself, but it's turned into chronic pain management and sports performance management for all of the clients that I see. Um, and I'm just, I continue to be a huge advocate for them and I'm going to continue to do a lot of work with them in the future. Awesome. Awesome. So PRI, I know we mentioned it, but Postural Restoration Institute, what is their kind of overarching theme in regards to the human body, human movement? Yeah. So for those who don't know, um, a lot of the foundational principles of PRI has to do with the fact that we have a diaphragm on the left side of our body and a diaphragm on the right side of our body. And those diaphragms are not created equal. Um, the diaphragm on the right side is a little bit more domed. It's a little bit more exhalation uh, dependent. The one on the left is a little flatter. It's a little more inhalation dependent. And because of that, we have the sequelae of muscular patterns and chains that take place in our entire bodies. Um, that are very common and they show up in everyone. And it can lead to very stereotypical, very predictable patterns of injury. So like, for example, I remember one of the first things that resonated with me when I was playing baseball is that if you stand in the outfield or if you watch a baseball player who's just standing, they're usually over on their right leg with their glove on their left hip and their right shoulder hanging lower than their, their left. Um, and you don't see a lot of baseball players standing on their left hip. And I'm sure it's the same in basketball, even though basketball is not as much of a rotational sport. So you take that asymmetry that starts from the diaphragm and you see how it impacts the entire body. So it could affect the rotation of one of my hips. 
It could affect the torque that's on one of my knees. It could affect the stability that's in one of my ankles. Um, but the major premise is that we're more dominant on the right side of our bodies. We're going to be more dominant with one side of our brain. And it has an entire impact on the whole system. Um, and that relates to pain that we'll see in the clinic and different patterns that we would treat in the clinic. Yeah. And so let's, let's use that to dive into your new program you just started to solidify. So PRI is very, to, to an app, you know, someone who knows nothing about it, it can be very complex and actually confusing, right? So talk about your program you just started, the Solidify program. Tell us about that, why you started it, and maybe touch upon why and, and why PRI can sometimes be confusing and then how you kind of work through that. Yeah, so I'd say the biggest difference for me, and I didn't really notice this or realize this until recently, and I'm really lucky that I got introduced to PRI as early as I did, because a lot of the biomechanical principles that they use to teach uh, the biomechanics of movement come from the school of osteopathy. They don't necessarily come from traditional musculoskeletal biodynamics. Um, so because of that, you have to think in more of a three-dimensional way and almost like a gyroscopic way than we were taught in school, um, you know, with three very distinct, easy to understand planes of motion. And I think because of that, a lot of the principles can feel more abstract than they are. But I was really lucky where I would take one course at a time. And when I was taking them, I didn't really have uh, patients to apply the information to because of how early in school I was. So I would take, you know, the myokin course and then 18 months would go by and then I'd find out that, you know, my friends who are the coaches at Pure Performance would be taking another course. So then I would go take that there. But I took them basically before I learned anatomy, before I learned anatomy in school. Uh, so it gave me the ability to use that different, almost osteopathic lens without realizing it um, to apply to my understanding of anatomy. And it also related to the pitching delivery or a hitting swing, you know, other things that are three-dimensional and triplanar. Um, and that made it easier to understand. So the most difficult thing about the PRI courses is the fact that they're trying to appreciate the complexity that exists in the human body means that the, the academic information can be very dense. It can be very densely packed. It could be very nuanced. Um, there's just a lot of didactic information that goes into uh, understanding the whole comprehensive picture of a patient that we might see walking into the clinic. So I think what often happens is someone will hear about PRI, hear about great results that it has, you know, hear about like these mythical crazy results that people have gotten before. And it can have that like kind of ambiance to it, like this almost magical woo woo kind of feeling. Um, and they'll take a PRI course and they might learn like a good exercise or two that they want to use. Like they might learn the 90, 90 hip lift, which is the exercise where you're lying on your back where you've got your feet on the wall that a lot of people have seen before. Um, and they might not understand exactly how to take someone all the way through that exercise because they've only taken one course. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, you know, it's a time investment. All courses are a money investment. It's a, an educational investment. There's a level of commitment involved, especially if it's completely different than something that you've ever heard before. You know, if you're used to telling people to bring their shoulder blades down back and together because we have bad posture and you go to a PRI course and they're telling us to slump and then slouch and then exhale, um, it's going to blow your mind and it's going to blow your patient's minds. And until you have that full understanding, you won't be able to apply the information correctly. So the truth is, there is a, there's a fairly uh, 
high barrier uh, of entry when it comes to those courses. Sometimes you have to take them multiple times. You have to take them with different instructors. You have to review the material on your own. The reason I stuck with it and the reason I think it's so helpful is because once I got past that original resistance, um, I've never seen anything that gives me even close to the same results. And it also gives me a lens like this triplanar osteopathic lens that I can apply to all of these other methods um, that I use. And also from a philosophical standpoint, I would say I don't look at information um, the same way that I used to um, in terms of its simplicity and complexity and how you apply things and how you get people to learn and understand um, a lot of those things take a lot of resistance and going through that process of making myself go through the resistance and getting to that high barrier of entry um, has taught me a lot. So usually when people take one course or two and they haven't made it through that resistance yet, they'll try a few exercises. They won't have the results that they anticipate and then they'll throw out the whole entire program. And they'll say, all right, this PRI stuff is great for people that are having success with it, but I think it's, I don't think it works. I tried this, it didn't work. I tried it and it's like, it stinks. So I'm not going to go to any more courses. You know, I'm going to badmouth it to my friends. I'm going to badmouth it on the internet. Um, and then PRI gets a bad name. So the, one of the reasons I started Solidify is there was all of these different online courses saying, you know, I've taken all of the best principles from all these different courses that I've taken and made my method. Um, and the truth is I wanted to do justice to the complexity that exists in the PRI method. Um, and I wanted to catch a lot of people that would otherwise be, otherwise be discouraged because they haven't made it through that, uh, that mental resistance. Um, and as someone who has tried to push myself through that and had a lot of success out on the other side, I wanted other people to experience the same thing and basically catch them before they would write something off that they could otherwise really benefit from. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that's what I've seen. So I'm I'm not, um, you know, I'm not familiar with PR like Mike is. I know the basics and I use some of those basic exercises that he's talking about, but I think that's what he's referring to in that, you know, you use some of the basic ones that can help early on, but then you have to progress that and, and move that beyond just the table stuff. And I think PR, a lot of, a lot of the, um, naysayers of PRI are just like, oh, you're just on the table. You're just breathing into a balloon, blah, blah, blah. And they just, they only know the initial stuff and they don't know how it branches off and blossoms into all this other stuff. I think some of the PRI, stuff regarding vision and, and the dental stuff is awesome. Um, you know, I'm super intrigued by that. So might have to get into, into that myself. Um, awesome though. So solidify program. Great. You're doing awesome stuff. So, so the solidify program, is that mainly <clears throat> for people that want a better understanding of PR? Like, is, is it like break it down a little bit easier for them? It makes it less 100%. complicated. Okay. And right. you know, after doing the first round, I was curious about where people thought they were going to have the most benefit. So I interviewed all the attendees after we finished the program. And I think where people got the most benefit is when there was common questions that came up that otherwise would have seemed counterintuitive if they took the course. Like for example, I know that the left AIC, which is one of the PRI predominant patterns, I know that you usually have less hip internal rotation on the left, but I'm seeing all these baseball pitchers and they have less hip internal rotation on the right. Why is that happening? You know, and then we'd have a conversation about hip impingement and compensatory patterns and things like that. So I think what it did is it took uh, things that could be counterintuitive or juxtapositional, and I was able to explain to them, you know, through different experiences that I've had, um, you know, how those things line up. So and, would, would you recommend that this would be a program that they would take in conjunction with or maybe after they've already been through a couple of PRI courses? I would say afterwards. <clears throat> okay. Like if you've taken a few and you are and you are trying to decide if you should do more PRI or if you should start over with a new sure. system. 
Because one of the things that I struggled with for a while is everyone says that you can't be dogmatic and you have to be well-rounded. So like take some of these courses and take some of those courses and take like dry needling and take whatever. And they're all fantastic. But the truth is if you're kind of good at everything and you're not really good at anything, you're like <laughs> not going to help them. Yeah, yeah, it's very um, true. So, so I struggled a lot with saying, all right, am I just taking all these courses because it's what I like and know? Uh, but the truth is if you really become a master at one specific subject matter, for one, if you're not helping someone, you can always refer out to someone who's, you know, more of a master than you are at something completely different that your patient needs. But you will also get people that have fallen through the cracks of the medical system or have gone to different PT clinics and it hasn't worked out. Um, yeah, we don't know anything about that. that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's exactly it, right? That's how most of our patients get to us. Great. Yeah, I, I think... The- listening to you talk that the levels of things people tend to stay at level one in their thinking like of anything mm-hmm. right like you just said you have to get to level two three secondary tertiary all that kind of stuff and that's cool that pri breaks it down that way so they tell you right up front like hey look this you could take all our primary co- courses but you won't be a specialist in this until you take secondary tertiary mm-hmm. and and so on you know so telling you up front that hey it's going to be a long the long haul it's going to be a lot of work that's it's fair but a lot of people will look at that and be like, ah, oh, you know, it's money making, it's this, it's that, whatever. Um, but that's that's awesome that they get you thinking on that that multi level um, complexity for sure. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your clinic. You just opened the clinic in July, right? Yeah. So our doors open on August first, and we actually have a, a vlog that's going to be coming out soon that highlights uh, what life on the road was like. So basically between February, where I left uh, my previous job, and when I started Divergence, we were seeing people on the road. So like we were traveling in my truck with a table (laughs) in the back. We're going to people's homes. We're seeing people virtually. We rented space out of the gym. Um, So we just made like a 10-minute vlog kind of chronicling that experience, which was really, really fun. But we opened our doors uh, uh, in August. We actually just hired our third PT. So we had myself, we have Connor Sheridan, and we have Garrett Laberton, uh, who just joined us. So it's been going fantastic so far. Um, we do have that postural restoration certified facility, which has been really good. So a lot of the referrals that we get will be looking uh, for some PRI treatment from us. Mm-hmm. But we're also really trying to integrate the strength conditioning side of things, just like you guys do. Um, because the truth is you can get someone out of pain, but that's only, I wouldn't even say it's 50%. I'd say it's like yeah. 20% of the agree. whole battle. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what we're trying to do is carry over those PRI principles, but do it in a way that's not getting someone back to homeostasis, but is creating some allostasis, um, getting them more resilient and more resistant to so stresses that would get them injured otherwise. I mean, I would say opening up in August and you just hired your third PT, I'd say you're doing better than okay. I'd say you're doing pretty amazing, bro. It's awesome. Well, you know, the, the truth is, so when I started at Pure Performance Training, it's an out-of-network, cash-based, whatever, environment. Um, and it was great to feel the thrill of building my caseload and helping people get better. Um, but when you do this physical therapy, personal training hybrid model, you end up keeping a lot of clients for a long period of time. Um, so at a certain point, I was, you know, I'm very grateful for this. I was able to build my caseload to a point where I couldn't see any more people. And it became more about the mentorship side of things, which is why I'm so grateful that I can do Solidify now because we can help people that aren't just local, but are all over the world. Um, And I was able to mentor some people that were local to work under me with the same principles and with me and take courses with me. And that really became the driving focus for what I wanted to do. 
So, you know, in terms of the three PTs, I had mapped out a plan of how this could work and tried to plant some seeds of people that could help me um, for a long period of time. You know, and I think the truth is the the in-network model for physical therapy from an employee's perspective is not always an easy one as well. You know, if you're if you're doing something like taking PRI courses or manual therapy courses or like whatever it is, some higher level form of physical therapy and your environment only allows you to see people for 30 minutes at a time and sometimes multiple people at a time, um, you're not going to thrive there as an employee. The clinic's not going to thrive because you're not going to be happy there. The patient is certainly not going to get a good experience. Um, so because of that, there's definitely a lot of people that are ready, willing, and able to come join me in this pursuit of bringing PRI and strength conditioning to the public and helping solve some of these chronic pain issues that they have. Yeah, I mean, great for the patients, but it's also very gratifying as the provider as well because you can do what you want to do, spend the time you want with the patient, and you can you know feel good about it too at the same time, right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the reason why we transitioned, and it's been great ever since. So, yep, so we totally agree. So in, in molding the PRI, you know, as it relates to physical therapy and pain, people in pain, and then bridging that gap between the strength and conditioning, do you, do you feel like the, the PRI world um, is still struggling with that? Because I think that, that might be one of their, and I know they have PRI-specific courses for personal trainers, strength coaches, all that kind of stuff, but would you say that? That's one of their, because they, they probably have some criticisms in that regard too, that they don't get people beyond, you know, that, that, uh, you know, initial step, I guess you could. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest things that, uh, I have tried to bridge the gap with is the pain science world from a communication standpoint and the PRI world. And this is another one of those things that I felt like was a myth for people that had taken a course or two or even worse, watched some online videos of someone else reviewing one course that they took. Um, and I want to make something really, really clear. Anyone who studies PRI and studies it the way it is meant to be learned um, is not using harmful language with people that they see. Like any PRI practitioner that knows what they're doing is not telling someone that they're asymmetrical or stuck or broken or they have to be afraid to move. Like none of that is happening at all. In fact, it's the complete opposite. So this was one of these opportunities where I see people spreading this misinformation and I really wanted to catch them and, and educate them because there is a world where we as clinicians can understand the biomechanical, neurological, you know, integrative complexity, but our clients don't necessarily need to understand that. In fact, many of our clients need to think a little bit less about what's going on. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you exactly. know, given the context. Agreed. Um, but in terms of what you're saying, you know, bringing the empowerment back to the clients that are seeing me for PRI therapy that are oftentimes, you know, if you've been to physical therapy and you've been to a chiropractor and you've been to, a, you know, a bunch of physicians and no one can figure out what's going on with you and PRI might be an explanation to help you, you know, start this road that's filled with hope to get you out of this chronic pain that you don't want. Um, I can see how someone would have issues with not feeling empowered by that. Um, so one of the things that we're trying to do and one of the things that I'm trying to encourage other new PRI practitioners to do is to not fall into that trap of really um, pathologizing things that could be going on with someone and teaching people to be strong and teaching confidence, you know, and, and teaching proficiency of movement, but also doing it in a way that creates some resilience. So that's something that I have really tried to drive home. Yeah, I feel like that. I mean, we just had this conversation with the last podcast. That language is it's so prevalent in this profession just in general, you know, and I'm sure it's worse all depending on what we're talking about. But I mean, we were just 
talking about just general manual therapies, you know, that just gets totally portrayed as false, but people buy into it, right? And it's it's our fault as the providers for, you know, not understanding how it works. Like PRI, for example, you're not understanding how it works. So you portray this false information to the patient. Now they're understanding how you understand it, which is also false. So nope, you know what I mean? So it's it's um, it has to get cleared up for sure. Yeah. And absolutely. There, there's a lot of risk for that with people that are paying cash for their services. They want to feel like they're broken and it's worth it to them to pay extra money to see the special person that has all the masterful exercises that will get them out of pain. And from the practitioner standpoint, you want to be saying something that carries enough gravity so that it feels like the patients need to pay cash to come see you. So it's easy to get really stuck in that dance of like, I'm depending on you because you're depending on me. Where I feel like if I was, you know, fully being truthful and fully empowering you, you might not come see me anymore. <laughs> and I feel like if I fully get better, I might not be able to come see you anymore, which is why the goals have to shift to performance-based goals. Like they just, they have to. Yeah. And, and we preach that all the time. Like part of the reason where we want people to do strength training is, yeah, we want you to get stronger. Yeah. We want you to put on lean muscle because that's shown to be a, a healthier person metabolically than someone who has less lean muscle. But at the end of the day, like you said, we're trying to make your body more resilient, more adaptable. It, it can, you can take on more stress, right? And that is a good thing, especially in today's stressful world. And you guys bridging that gap you know, you, you've removed that early stress of the pain, but now we say, okay, let's make you more resilient. So this doesn't happen or it's less likely to happen in the future. And that's the overarching goal of pretty much any kind of pain state is like, okay, cool. Let's get you out of pain. Now let's make your body more resilient. How are we going to do that? Big way is through some strength training because you're just doing hard stuff right. for an hour. And it, it, it's going to make, even if it doesn't make you stronger that day, you're going to be mentally tougher. You're going to, you know, maybe have a, a, better confidence in yourself and your body, all that kind of stuff. So there's way more benefits than just, oh, we're just going to pack on some muscle for you. So all those people out there that are like, oh, no, I don't want to get big and bulky. It, it, fine. Then just get more confident in yourself, become more resilient, become more adaptable, take on more stress. That's great. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Sorry, I just rambled on. I love it there. No, yeah. you, that's what you do. I know. I just I, I get fired up. Yeah, you do. I love it. Up. Keep going, man. Yeah. Um. All right, cool. So we talked about the clinic. We talked about Solidify Program. Talked a little bit about PRI. We might have to get more into PRI because I know we have a lot of listeners that are yes. clients. Too. Well, I would like to learn a little bit more about it too. So PRI curious. Let's yeah. Let's, there you go. <laughs> yes. Let's shift back then, and let's let's um let's talk more as as re regards to our our clients that might be listening yep. to the podcast, and everyone's always going to ask, well. I, I just have bad posture. I did like this, this or that about their posture. Yep. Talk about posture in general as the way people, you know, in the way people think of, typically think about it, like, oh, I'm slunched forward. Yep. And before you said, before you said like, oh, PRI, yeah, we want you to get forward and, and exhale and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the best way I think about it, because I was talking to someone about sleeping positions earlier today. Um, and there's some people that can sleep well on their left side. There's some people that can sleep well on the right side, people that can sleep on their back, people that can sleep on their stomach. I don't think I've ever been consciously aware of a position that I've fallen asleep in. Like I've pulled all the covers off of the bed. I've been underneath the pillows. I've been halfway off the mattress. The people that are not 
thinking about what position they ought to sleep in are sleeping the best. And the people that are not thinking about the position that they ought to sit in are probably sitting the best. So I love it. That's a great. lot of times, awesome. like and a lot of what PRI tries to do is shift this conscious awareness away of how I'm supposed to be holding my body. And if I'm naturally alternating and reciprocating between both sides of my body and from conscious attention and unconscious attention, the body knows exactly what to do in all of these positions. And I would also argue that the person that is the strongest has to think the least about how they rest. And the person that is the weakest has to think the most about how they rest. Um, so I think that is, that's just completely true. And, and also from a physical standpoint, also from a psychological standpoint. So, you know, if you try more things that feel difficult to you, then easy things will not feel as hard for you. You know, I see a lot of people that are, that are using incredibly high threshold strategies in very low threshold scenarios. And the only way that you can flip that is to put them into a lot of scenarios they haven't been in before. So long story short, we should be thinking a lot less about posture. We should be thinking a lot more how we move. Um, so if you're sitting at a desk or standing, you should just try to be comfortable. Now, very early on in people's treatment, do I have them spend more time on their left side to help get them over the hump of feeling better? Absolutely. But once they feel better, I let them do whatever the heck they want. Yeah, I mean, we. I mean, I felt that firsthand a couple of years ago, and we did that. Um, was that winter seminar over at Mike Boyle's and Mike Mullen? Mike Mullen talked a little bit about that and put us in certain positions, and it was wild how much better you could actually breathe in some of those positions. His <laughs> posture yeah. lecture is so good. Yeah. Michael's a, a personal friend of mine. He is the best. He totally gets it, and his like his posture lecture where he talks about like people standing with books on their heads and like the history of posture and all these things. It's amazing. Um, it's unbelievable. I think it, it would do a much better job of explaining that part of it than I would, but um, <laughs> we'll have to get him on here then. But I think I that's fun. You hear yeah. that, Mike? Come on. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Let's get him. No, that's awesome because with, with everyone always comes in, we, we, I don't want to say we have to break down these preconceived notions about posture, but everyone's so caught up on it. And, you know, our, our big, you know, take home for a lot of people on their first visit with us is, hey, we just want you to move more. Yep. If it feels good, move that way. You know, it doesn't matter just because so-and-so in the past yelled at you for moving in that fashion or told you that was wrong. You know, if it feels good, do it. And uh, we, we get really, really, you know, our minds get hyper-focused and we perseverate on it. And then that precipitates the issue because now you're in this fight or flight state and now you're creating all these, you know, mental and psychological strategies to uh, create this what you believe is the right posture yeah but really there is you know the, the best posture is the next posture is a saying out there but it the, the underlying theme is we were we were meant to move as humans as as animals like we have to keep moving and variety of movement is always going to be the best right. you know we we vary our movements but if it feels good just move so for for all the people that are listening, what's like the basic, I know we've kind of talked about the concept of posture. So if somebody's coming to you for, and I know this obviously varies based on the individual, but if somebody comes in for a certain type of pain, the goal of PRI is going to make them move better through breathing patterns or positions with breathing patterns. Like how, how does that all like kind of roll in there? Yeah. So if we use posture as an example, um, one of the things that I try to get people to do is have both scapulas sit flushly in the back of the rib cage. Um, and if I've been sitting for a while, or if I generally have a weak anterior core part of my body or diaphragm or transverse abdominis, whatever you want to call it. Um, if I have a lower rib flare, and it might be hard to picture this if you're listening, 
But if the lower part of my ribs are coming up in front of me, the back border of my rib cage will start to go basically inside the midline of my body. And if my shoulder blades rest on the back of my body, they can no longer snugly fit on the back of the rib cage because it's running away to the front of my body. So someone who looks and then a sequelae of that, if my ribs are in front of me and my scapula are like on the sides of me and they're starting to wing, my shoulders are going to have to round forward to rebalance my center of mass. Now, if you see someone with rounded shoulders, you would think that they need to pull their shoulder blades back towards each other so that they can sit up straighter. However, if you take the very lower part of their rib cage that is sticking out and you bring it back via a reach or a posterior pelvic tilt, now the shoulder blades can go back onto the back of the rib cage. The center of mass is now where it needs to be and I can be taller. So it's one example of like counterintuitive instruction that you would give someone where they actually need to round more to get their shoulders to not round. And the easiest, I'd say the, the place where you see this the most is someone who has a really bad forward head posture or like someone who uses a walker or someone who has Parkinson's or whatever it is. Someone who's in a very thoracically kyphotic posture probably is a center of mass that is going very far forward. And if you have a center of mass that's going far forward from a lower rib cage that's going into what would be external rotation or both ribs flaring, you need to be able to use your abs, your serratus muscles, your diaphragm to take your rib cage and your center of mass backwards so that you don't need to then extend your spine to prevent yourself from falling forward. Yeah. So not only are you becoming less efficient as a human being, because now you have to work harder, right? But it's, you know, when you look at like the chain reaction biomechanics happening to the body, being in that position is just totally screwing everything up. Yeah. I, I hope. Yeah. And I hope that makes sense. Like if I were to stand behind Nick and try to push him forward so that he would fall down on his stomach, He's going to use his back muscles to sure. make himself go upright. Yeah, so if I were to train his already constantly working back muscles from a rounded state, it's not going to make any sense. He needs to train the part of his body that if I were to push him backwards, it's going to be his glutes, his hamstrings, his abs, his serratus. So it's just, it's a different way of looking at posture. But I hope for some of your guys' clients, that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. And, and to uh, add to what Mike was saying there for any clients out there who are trying to picture that in their heads. Another thing with that is what he was describing there. If you have that flare in the front, the ribs popping up in the front, that will also, your, your shoulder blade is a rounded object and it's supposed to sit on a rounded rib cage, but it actually, the, the flare in the front will flatten out that, that rib cage in the back. So now you try to move a rounded object on a flat object. It doesn't move very well. So talking about also getting shoulder issues and all that kind of stuff can be super problematic, but I'm also going to bring up, you know, I'm going to bring up footwear. So Mike's talking about this posture that is a common pattern in, in humans. And we also have nowadays this common thing in footwear that is a heel wedge that dumps our center of mass forward. What, what role do you think footwear plays in what you were just describing? Yeah. So PRI talks a lot about footwear, um, especially from the perspective of being able to supinate and pronate your foot. So if you want to use the hip extenders of your body, you have to be able to get all the way into the stance phase of gait. If you want to get into the stance phase of gait, you have to be able to pronate. So kind of like you're saying, if your center of mass is coming forward, your foot is going to be locked. It's not going to be able to go in either direction. Um, so if you can find the stance phase of gait and get all the way over to one side of your pelvis, then you'll be able to alternate and reciprocate. But do you know, you know who Philip Beach is? He's, a, he's an osteopath that came and spoke um, at like a PRI conference that I went to once. And he was a big like barefoot proponent. And in his kitchen, he would have a pile of rocks that he had to walk over every Love day. Love it. Love it. So the idea is like 
it's not an unstable surface in the way that we traditionally think of it. Like it's not standing on an Airx pad, but if you're walking through a terrain that makes you have to constantly challenge your own balance, um, then you're going to dynamically move your foot in the direction that it is supposed to be in, especially if there's variety of those stimuli. Um, so if a foot, if a shoe locks you and limits range of motion, then that's never going to be helpful. I love it. I love it. Cause we have a saying here, hard ground equals soft foot, soft ground equals hard foot. So when we have these modern shoes that are super, super soft, they're, they're, they have all these fancy materials, synthetic materials to create cushion that feels good underneath your foot, but your body, your brain is naturally going to stiffen your foot up a little bit. I want everyone who's listening to imagine walking at the beach. If you go up away from the ocean to the soft sand, and then you go on the hard pack sand by the water, you are much looser by the hard pack sand because now your body can be loose on top of the firmer surface. When you're on the soft surface, your body has to stiffen up to create stability. Okay, so we wear these cushiony shoes all day. And this is why the barefoot movement can be so helpful because it can trigger this cascade of events, this chain reaction up the, bo up the body from the feet. And if you expose your feet to a variety of surfaces, you're going to expose it to a variety of movements. So if we're constantly in these shoes that have the soft cushion, your foot is naturally going to stiffen up a little bit more. And we're seeing that clinically. I'm sure you are too, where people are having more rigid feet and they're biased toward that supination. They're having a hard time getting to a good controlled pronated position. Um, and, and we do still have people that collapse into that flat foot, but I would argue that they're not even pronated. They're not, people would call that over pronated. That's but a, you're exactly I would argue right. that that's not even over pronation. I would argue that that's just a, a foot that's moving as one and it's rolling in. It's not even controlled pronation because pronation should be a dissociation of you know, the, the rear foot and the forefoot where the forefoot's coming down in the, 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 the big toe, the middle is coming down to the ground and creating that, that wide base. But the, the outside of the foot is still on the ground as well, as opposed to a lot of these people who are diagnosed as over pronators are just rolling in and that outside of the foot is lifting up. Yeah. Right. So that's just one, one big joint that like the, the, the joints aren't acting separately. It's just one big joint, just rolling in as a, like a boat would roll, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a general medical problem. If I am on the outsides of my feet and I have a high foot arch, would I try to train my body to pronate my foot or would I build up a shoe that fits under my foot that is doing something that it ought not to do? You know, same thing with the visual system. If I have eyes that can't focus, am I going to create a lens that matches my eyes that are not doing what they're supposed to? Or would I put my eyes in a position where they have to train themselves to adapt? Nice. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Cool. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the, um, you talked a, a little bit about working with dentists and optometrists. Like how, how does that all kind of integrate with PRI and, and, uh, you know, how you can integrate that within, within your model? Yeah. So, so generally speaking, um, if you want to get back to a state of rest, you have to have control over your autonomic nervous system. So just like Nick's talking about with people that are walking on the soft sand, if I'm walking on the soft sand and my body's very rigid, I'm going to be in a sympathetic or fight or flight state. Um, that can happen at any part of our bodies for any particular reason. Um, it can happen at my feet if I have the improper shoes on. It can happen at my shoulders if I don't have a good rib cage position. It can happen at my eyes if I don't have the right lenses in. And it can happen at my mouth if I don't have an oral appliance in if I need it. So what we do with this integrative work is we're trying to get the body to come back to a state of balance or a state of rest. And let's say I'm a dentist, for example, 
And my view of posture is that even on someone who has this forward center of mass, all they have to do is pull their shoulder blades back. Well, it's a very limited view of how posture works. So if you can integrate physical therapy and dentistry with the goal of getting these people back to an oscillatory fight or flight and rest and digest state, we can have these different disciplines trying to achieve the same exact goal in the same exact way. So in other words, I'm building you an oral appliance to have your bite line up in a way that's going to allow your shoulder blades to go around the front of your rib cage to bring the rib cage back and now your center of mass is where it's supposed to be. And it's the same thing with the visual system. You know, if I have lenses in someone's eyes that is turning them into the soft sand version of themselves, then it's not going to be effective. Um, we need to use lenses that line up with the shape of someone's body that's going to put them in a state where everything is balanced and where it needs to be. Because if someone's not getting back to homeostasis, now we can't train them to create that allostasis to make them more resilient. So a lot of people that their bodies are in a state of unrest, um, when it gets really severe, when it goes on for a long time, um, or if you know there's head trauma, for example, uh, we might need to use some of these extra disciplines to to get them back to what PRI would call neutral or the parasympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system. Yeah. So Mike's just saying it's all connected, basically. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so talk about, so a lot of people think our tongue is just there to create noises for talking and, and chewing. Talk about the tongue's effect on breathing. He's only asking me this because he... He's got issues with his tongue. I do have issues with my tongue. <laughs> what I'm issues gonna, do you I'm going to talk to you asking, later about this. Hashtag asking for a friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Zach Couples fan, like I'm, I'm sure you are. Um, you know, and Zach Couples had his own, he, he talks about his own journey with a tongue tie. Yep. And I have a tongue tie myself, so I've been trying to, I haven't been trying hard enough. I'm a bad patient. So, but I need to see someone that yeah. knows what they're doing with it, not so much like you were describing someone who's just going to be like, oh, pull your shoulders back, it'll help your posture, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, but so, so one of the let's most, not talk uh, about me. Let, you, you tell people <laughs> about how, how the tongue affects breathing. One of the most common things that I've seen um, is in order to create the natural seal of pressure so that you can bring air in through your nose and out through your mouth, you need to be able to take your tongue and bring it to your palate, so the roof of your mouth. Um, if you have a frenula, which is that area of skin underneath your tongue that is limiting your ability to get that tongue range of motion, um, then you're going to have a hard time creating that normal pressure seal um, and that ability to exchange air, and it's going to impact you know, your whole entire body. So one of the best things that people can do is put themselves through some sort of sleep study, either like professionally or on their own, to see how well they're breathing while they're sleeping. Um, and if that turns out to be a problem, see someone like a, a airway minded dentist, um, who could help you find out whether you need to have, you know, either just, sometimes it could be as simple as tongue exercises. Sometimes it could be as simple as the position of the rib cage and then your tongue's no longer a problem. Sometimes it can be that you need surgery in your tongue itself. Um, you know, I've seen all sorts of different examples of that and uh, different ways that people correct it. But what I would do is, is figure out how well you're breathing and checking your sleep can be an easy way to do that. Um, and then talk to a dentist that has a good eye, has some good knowledge of the, of the airway that, that could help you. Yeah. For, for all our listeners too, when you sleep, you should be breathing through, you should be breathing nasally. You should not be breathing with your mouth open and snoring in our society has been normalized and snoring is not normal. So if you do snore, you know you snore, that's a good indication that you sh you probably should go just get it checked by someone like Mike's talking about because it could be just a subtle problem, but a problem that is 
limiting you from getting good, high quality sleep. Like you might sleep enough hours, but it might not be the best possible sleep that you could get. And you're leaving stuff on the table, essentially. So breathing through the mouth during sleep is actually not normal. We should be breathing through the nose. If we're breathing through the mouth, you're actually not getting the appropriate amount of air in. You're not getting the CO2 to build up appropriately because it's very the air is very turbulent and the CO2 actually triggers a good uh, cascade of events in the body, in the blood. So you're limiting things like nitric oxide, which opens your blood vessels up. So this can be play a role in hypertension, all those types of things that you wouldn't think are actually affected by your breathing can be affected by your breathing in your tongue. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And that's, that's what I'm, my, what, what Chad was just talking about with, with myself. I gotta get, I got, he, he's getting it up there. Yeah, it's getting and, closer. And it goes back to um, what we were talking about before. And I like your analogy of the hard sand and the soft sand. I'm going to use that now. If you're sleeping and breathing with your mouth open, you're turning yourself into the rigid soft sand version of yourself. Um, and that can't, you, you can't get, um, don't be don't soft, be soft. Sand. We're only hard sand. You should, yeah. Just like your muscles shouldn't be soft, you don't be, you don't be soft either. But in truth, like if you're if you're putting yourself in a state of rigidity while you're supposed to be recovering, then you're not going to be able to push yourself. Um, it's just the truth. Absolutely. So with regard to um, the the sleeping, I know there are like the Buteco Clinic out there. They they use special tape to tape the mouth. Are you a fan of that or? I've had people try it before. Some people can't tolerate it. Um, but I think, like you said, the ability to tolerate carbon dioxide in the system is incredibly important. And, you know, doing something like the Buteco method can be a great way to start with that. There's like a million different apps that can help you train to do that now. Um, I have had people that have had success with the mouth taping, but I've had some people who like rip the tape off before the night's over. So it's definitely something worth trying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if people are going to try it, cut a little slit in it because it, it'll just... And it's best to use some kind of stretchy tape. You can use other tape, but if you go to the store and buy like KT tape, try that. Cut a little slit in it just so it, you don't go into panic mode just because tape is completely over. That way that you could get air in your mouth if you needed to because there could be other stuff going on. But you'll probably just rip. If you don't like it, you'll rip it off. But the carbon dioxide sensitivity is is a huge problem nowadays. A lot of people, and that's a good indication of health. There's a lot of correlations with people who can't so basically with carbon dioxide sensitivity, if you take a breath in through your nose and then you let it all out through your mouth and you once all the air is out, you count or you set a timer, you should be able to hold that at least 30 seconds after you've let all your air out as carbon dioxide is building up in your system. If you feel this, this urge right away to want to take air back in, that's an indication you have a carbon dioxide sensitivity. And that has been associated with a lot of these modern day chronic diseases. So it's actually a good indication of your overall metabolic health, I would say. So it is something that you can try at home, you know, set a timer, uh, take a big breath in, or it's, it really should be a normal breath in through your nose and then let all your air out. And then you stop the timer as soon as you feel that, you know, that big need to want to take that air back in. You, you can't just fight it to 30 seconds and say that that's normal. You know, it has to be a, a calm 30 seconds, yep. more or less. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Let's, let's talk about, so like I said, Mike and I, we go back to college. So we were, we were in college. I was, I was different at that time. Um, I was even different when I started working at Proform, but uh, Mike was ahead of his time. He was mature. 
Um, I was playing basketball. So because I play basketball, I thought I was healthy. I was not. I've said this before. I've, I've, I've written a blog about it, all that kind of stuff. So I, I've said this in the past that I thought I was healthy because I was a college athlete. I was very far from healthy, actually. I didn't sleep enough. I didn't. Uh, my diet was terrible. And, you know, stress management was probably just average. Um, but Mike used to go to bed nice and early. Uh, and it used to annoy me because I'd be staying up. So I used to try to, we had like an apartment style housing and we had our own rooms so we could lock our own doors and Mike would lock his door because he'd go to sleep a couple hours before us. So I'd try to pick my, pick his lock. I had a little kit, paper clips, everything, try to pick his lock. I would never pick any other locks for everyone listening. Never tried picking any, anybody, anybody else's lock, but Mike DeMille's room. <laughs> Just want to put that on record. <laughs> But I tried to pick his lock and then I'd try to, one, wake him up, but then he also wouldn't eat certain things or he'd only eat small quantities of, you know, desserts at the dining hall. So I would try to feed him like whoopie pies, red velvet <laughs> cake, stuff like that. A anything we had, Sabotage. I would just try to feed it to Mike because I knew he didn't want to eat it. And um, Mike's been, he's been, you know, pretty spot on with his nutrition. For, for a long time. And now tell us about your fiance. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's funny because it's a few years ago now, but the way Aaron and I met, it was my third or fourth week at Pure Performance. So it's 2017. I got hired there in July. Um, and then she was one of, she was probably like my 10th patient or something like that. Um, so she saw me, she was recommended by another one of the coaches at Pure for this knee pain issue that she was dealing with. Um, and she had been to traditional PT before, didn't know anything about PRI. The truth is, it was some of my first weeks and months, like practicing PRI on my own. So I was trying to get through explanations about asymmetry and breathing and trying to help her. Um, but I realized along the way that we had so much in common. Um, and like you're talking about, I've always been super interested in nutrition. It's funny uh, because I have her in the house now. I'm probably not as good as I used to be. It's <laughs> like one of those things. You and I have probably done a 180. Um, but we really connected on a lot of the principles that I loved about PRI in terms of it being different in terms of looking at things in a unique lens, um, in terms of embracing complexity. My fiance does that with nutrition and she does that with her entire life. Um, you know, so the nutritional field has more like myths and, you know, common misconceptions and difficulties probably even more than the physical therapy world. Like we live in a world of chronic dieting and bad mental representations of food and guilt and anger and like all of this emotion um, that really clouds some good scientific evidence. And I have never met someone who's more dedicated to the scientific process and learning and then how it relates to applying that to actionable information that can help people. Um, so I knew right when I met, right when I met Aaron, that we were going to be together for a long time because she paralleled everything that I was feeling about physical therapy um, with nutrition. And then we really bonded over, you know, her introduction to PRI and how it helped her body. Uh, we really connected on a lot of these similarities with nutrition, you know, and had so many different things in common when it came to that. Um, and she has been with me ever since. So she's in her last year of nutrition school right now. So she'll be a dietitian at the end of the year. She's in her clinicals. Um, she has her private practice where she's seeing clients right now. Um, and we couldn't be happier. She's, uh, she's the best. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. She's, she seems so smart. I've met, met her a few times and just talking to her, she is 
one of the most intelligent people I think I've ever talked to, mm-hmm. uh, which is is really cool. And like you said, she's just super down to earth and um, really cares about the the clients and the, the people she's working with, which is awesome to see in any any field like this where you're working with people and trying to help people. When people genuinely care like that, it's it's pretty cool. It, there's not a lot. Of, I've never met someone who actually does what they say and talk about and post on Instagram about more in my entire life. Like it kind of like you said at the beginning of this discussion, you thought I was like choosing healthy behaviors and meal prepping and doing all these things. I had absolutely no idea what like goes into it and what it takes to maintain a healthy lifestyle, whether it's the meal prep or just like the food prep or finding food or she has chickens in her backyard and she has a full (laughs) garden, like the amount of hours that goes into being as healthy as she is, is absolutely astounding. And it's very rare in this world that you see someone that completely practices what they preach every single day um, and doesn't make a big deal about it. So that's something that's just really special about her. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's really cool. And lucky for you, man, you get your, I literally get, so I was joking the other day at the gym. Um, so I finished, you know, seeing my clients, I was on the drive home and I went to flip through an Instagram story and it was like a bunch of videos of the dinner that Aaron had prepared. So I was like literally watching a trailer commercial for the dinner that I was about to eat. It was like, <laughs> it was the most amazing thing ever. It had like music to it. It had like all these lights to it. Like it was artistically prepared. It's like, oh my gosh, this is like watching like an Applebee's commercial, but it's not Applebee's. It's really healthy and it's all for me. And I'm about to drive home to it. <laughs> I don't think anyone has that experience. I'm like the luckiest guy in the world. Uh, I definitely never had that experience. <laughs> But I eat the same shit every day. So, I mean, I watch Aaron's stories all the time. And I'm like, man, that looks good. Well, here's and- the truth, right? Like my birthday's around the corner. And if someone knows how to use very like wholesome, almost like paleo style, very healthy ingredients, they can also cook things that are incredibly unhealthy and do it better than everybody else. So, you know, much like how you have to recover and then train really hard, you have to eat really well. But then when you eat bad, like you've got to, you've got to totally go for it. Oh, for and sure. way better. For sure. It's an I'm, I'm right with you on that. I just, I've, I've figured that out a little bit better recently. But when I was in college, I was just living that, you know, all the time, just eat whatever I want and eat the, the hell out of it, you know? But now, now I have, I've scaled back a little bit, but I agree with you on that one, on that front for sure. All right, cool. All right, Mike. So where can people find you? Yeah. So the, the best place to find me is my personal Instagram, which is Mike DeMille, D-P-T, D-E-M-I-L-L-E. And then our facility Instagram, which is Divergence PT and Wellness. So we run this Solidify program. It's 10 weeks long. We run it three times a year. Um, the next time that we'll be taking new applicants is going to open up September 20th, and then it closes September 29th. So I'll review all those applications, talk to people on the phone, find out if they're the right fit for the program. And then that will start the first week of October. Um, another thing that's kind of exciting that we're doing that you'll probably see some info about if you're in the PRI world is they're having a mini PRI residency. And we're going to be one of the host sites for these residents. So it's like a six week and it's probably going to coincide with when we have Solidify. So we might have some like students in person doing the Solidify program through the PRI mini residency. Um, so you can find me on those two sources. We have a website as well, DivergencePTNWellness.com. So we post on there pretty frequently about about what's happening at, at the facility. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Mike, Mike's got a birthday coming up next Ooh. week, Wednesday, right? Yeah, 28. Yeah, 28. Nice. Happy birthday, man. Nice. I remember when I was 28. He's got, he's got the same birthday as my little brother. Oh, no yeah. way. They got the same That's birthday. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So 
that, let's wrap it up. What what's up for next episode, Nick? What what's we got going on next episode? We're it's talking. Gonna get juicy. Yeah, it's gonna get real juicy. Chad's gonna be real excited. I'm so this excited. is where this is the one of those episodes that Chad gets red in the face because he's so excited. This might have to go on camera. On. Yeah, it, we might have to put this on camera. We're gonna be talking about insurance. Yep, we're gonna talk about our model versus the traditional insurance model. We kind of touched on it a little bit with Mike today, but uh, we're gonna dig in. I'm gonna show you the behind the secrets that they don't tell you in terms of, you know, not only on the patient side, but on our side, the provider. So it's going to be very interesting. And it's also going to give you guys an understanding as to why we kind of made that transition. So hopefully they don't censor us, you know, like we're, big, we're all in the same. Team. Like, big, I mean, yeah, big yeah, 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 big exactly. Brother. It's well, they, more to they show. For this? <laughs> <laughs> now, awesome. if we're not mentioning, you know, you know what, we're, I think we're okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pretty much, I'm going to lay it all on the table. If they can't, we're not big enough to get censored. It's not going to matter. <laughs> Dude, you never know. So. <laughs> if you say the right words right now, you could get censored. It doesn't That's matter. You, if you say a certain true. buzzwords, you might get censored. Yeah. So yeah. we won't so, say said buzzwords. Yeah, so we will We will be diving into the insurance-based model as well as the cash-based model because we've done both. So we can talk about both sides and which side we like better and why. Uh, again, it's it's to give you guys a better understanding as to why we made that transition. It's not only for for you as the patients, but it's also as more gratifying for us as the providers, kind of like what we talked about earlier with Mike. But um, I'm going to leave this one up to Mike because I normally do the moral of the story. But if I, I'm going to leave this one to Mike today. Before uh, before Mike gives the moral of the story, one thing, someone this week, I, I got to say it now because I'll forget. Someone came in this week and was raving about Chad's Mohawk. And if you're, you're a client who's listening and you come in, you know what it looks like. We have a new name for his mohawk. It's it's no longer considered a faux hawk. It is called the island yes. now. Yo, Someone came that in was real. and said it looks like an island. So his mo his faux hawk is now the island. So for anybody coming in. Yeah, she was like, so what's up with the hairstyle? And I was like, you don't like it? She goes, would they consider that a mohawk? And I said, no, it wouldn't be a mohawk because it's not like full all the way down to the back of my head. It's a faux hawk because it looks like a mohawk from the front, but it really doesn't go all the way down. She goes, huh. It kind of looks like an island. And I said, I like it. And meanwhile, I was, just, I was just laughing in the corner. <laughs> meanwhile, Nick was faced away from me laughing. And I'm like, dude, Nick is enjoying every second of this right now. <laughs> so it's the island. So we refer to we refer to Chad's hair as the island. That's awesome. All right. Mike, why don't you take us home? What what's is the, the what's moral? the moral of the story with Wow, I didn't realize it was a segment, but I love it. Um, the moral of the story is if you're going to do anything, do it to its fullest capacity. If you're going to recover, get your tongue checked, get your breathing checked, sleep the best anyone's ever slept. If you're going to get into nutrition, find out absolutely everything about nutrition and get your food from the best sources. If you're going to train, train as hard as you possibly can, um, because halfway going into anything is not going to get you anywhere. Awesome. I love it. So bottom line, if you are PRI curious, then Mike is your guy. In fact, if you're that curious, then check out the launch of the new program, Solidify, next month. Thank you for joining us in The Rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at ProformPTMA.com or on social media at ProformPTMA. And remember, if you train inside The Rack, you better be thinking outside The Rack.